0: Hello and welcome to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and I'm your guide to exceptional leadership and dynamic culture in your business. Join me each week as we explore practical tips through fun and fascinating interviews with successful business owners who've mastered the art of leadership. Over the last 20 years as a keynote speaker, author, and high-performing team transformation specialist, I've been fascinated by what it takes to create a great culture and dedicated team members in a business. When leaders truly own their roles and empower their team members to do the same, a great culture is always the result. So, whether you're on your couch or in your car, on a treadmill or hiking up a hill, get ready to be inspired and entertained as you learn exactly how to own your role. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and so excited to have our guest today because as many of you have heard through the over 100 podcasts that we've done, I've mentioned a few times how deficient of the sports gene I am. And our guest today is not only very well versed in sports, but almost as I would say an expert. If you want to name a uh, a TV show, a news outlet or a newspaper, this guy has been on it and he is an expert in this field and he's taken this to help entrepreneurs grow in their business. And as you know, our goal here is to have unique entrepreneurs who have a different angle about how they take their process to the world. And our guest today is Brandon Steiner and he's got three awesome books that we're gonna talk about as well. But remember again, if you are listening to this show and you haven't subscribed, please make sure you do. And thank you for all of those who have shared this podcast with friends and colleagues. I was just at an event out in New York a week ago and somebody come up to me I never met and just said, hey, I listen to your podcast. I really appreciate the information you are given out there. And that's exactly why we do this. So this show is gonna be no different from all of those. Excited to have you here. Thanks for being here again on the Own Your Role podcast. And let's get things started with our guest, Brandon Steiner. Brandon, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me. You are deficient no more. Um, I want (laughs) to cover it all. But, you know, listen, I'm an open book. So I I love talking about the things that get you ultimately to where you want to go. I'm a big process guy. And, you know, it, it really sports and you know, my mom always said, you know, it's stocks, stocks, doesn't matter The the selling and the processes to ultimately be extraordinary, what you want to do are very similar. So we're going to cover, I hope some of the processes because nobody really wants to know about the greatness. They want to know how you obtain the greatness. Hopefully I can yeah. share a little bit of what I've seen uh, with some sports personalities and, and growing my business.
0: Well, let's do it. Well, let's get started first. As I start every show, I believe that our stories are what connects all of us. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, your background, and and how you got into this position decided to do what you do to share with the world.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I've been doing this for 35 years. And as a kid, I never imagined I was going to be in the sports business, even though I was a big sports fan, played a lot of sports. I'm not one of those guys like, oh, man, I hurt my shoulder, my knee. Otherwise, I would have been this, but it would have been that. (laughs) I was never, never past the level of being a you know a mediocre athlete you know hopefully hoping to get chosen in um, that kind of thing but you know I I live with a college athlete at Syracuse I went to Syracuse because you probably see it behind me but and I live with the fullback and I learned a little bit about the sports thing and then it kind of happened I was in the sports bar business and now remember when I got in the sports bar business it was in 1984 and there were no sports bars in the whole country only two one of the ultimate in Chicago and then Bobby am in connecticut i know it's hard for people listening to imagine that putting a tv in a bar restaurant was really weird and was not cool was not something you did i worked at the hard rock opened up the hard rock in new york in 19 in early 84 and then i said you know this hard rock is a cool idea remember this is the first hard rock in the united states they opened up one in la one in new york the owners isaac tiger peter morton fought argued one took one part of the world the other took the other part of the world Peter, famous Morton Steakhouse. Well, that's his father. The son opened up the Hard Rock with Isaac. Isaac was the black sheep of the family from Tennessee. He opened up a really amazing one in New York. Peter opened up one in L.A. I was the assistant general manager of one in New York. And I said, I love this concept. And I remember, there's only one in London. This is the second one, first one in the States. And I went to London a train. And I saw the excitement about memorabilia. I saw the excitement around celebrities. And that's what kind of got me going so when I left the hard rock, I opened up one of the first electric sports bars which had a huge screen, the only satellite dish in New York. And we'd actually be finding all these games on the bird. You have to wait till Saturday morning to watch the game of the week. If you remember, And yeah. you know, if there was no games every night like we get now, I mean, if you were lucky, your local team had the game. You never watch games from afar. So people were packing in our place to try to find their game. They wanted to watch on the multiple screens. Now you see these sports bars everywhere. Everyone's got cable satellite. And in this process, I met a lot of celebrities and that's how I really started Steiner marketing. Most people know me for Steiner sports. I'm not there anymore. I started a new company, collectible exchange, but the, the journey for me really started with the transformation of leaving the hard rock, opening up a sports bar, which was a really weird idea because most people weren't thinking about going to eat dinner and watching a game in a restaurant. But that idea tended to really seem to work out pretty good. And then I started people kept calling me, can you get me an athlete? Can you get me an athlete? 35 years later, I'm still getting people athletes. Although most people know me from my collectibles, autographs. I've put out about 30 million autographs in the marketplace and sold about $50 million worth of dirt and probably done, you know, tens of thousands of appearances, you know, starting in 1990 till here we are now, you know, booking players for PR, marketing, advertising. So, you know, I've touched just about any athlete you're going to mention. I have probably had some kind of rapport relationship with either you know, on the collectible end or just helping them, you know, grow your business with PR, marketing, advertising. So you know, I mean, I'm really not that multidimensional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you start talking about anything other than you're your lane, right? But you know yeah. your lane, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my my goal was not to be good, and not even to be great or extraordinary. I wanted to be the only. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, that's that Steiner guy. Like, wow, man, that guy, you know what that guy did. He's the best. He's the, he created it, and I feel like I created the industry I'm in, which I'm really grateful to have that opportunity. The fans have supported me and have bought all the millions of products I've created. Now I have like an exchange. I'm almost like a form of eBay, so you can buy and sell on my website. It's a little bit different. So I figure there's I so much stuff out there, people don't know what they have. We help them assort, associate what they have, the value. But you know, for me, it's like I always wanted to be. I never. I think success gets in the way of more success. You know, it's almost like you start, you know, oh, I'm good. That's my famous words. I eat. I'm good. When you see people that are successful, you never remember them. You remember the extraordinary ones, but you remember the only You remember the Bradys, the Jordans, the Gretzkys. You don't remember the second place, third place teams, you know, that sort of thing. And I just wasn't that interested. I wasn't sure the sports thing was going to be my lane, but it ended up being my lane. And I get to go to work, have a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun now, even at 65, starting this new company four years ago. I tell people out there, it's like, don't retire, refire. And you decide if you're enjoying what you're doing, you don't need to stop doing what you enjoy doing so you can find something else. This is what people walk in my office every day. Why, when are you retiring? Why should I retire? I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm really good at it. But if I find something I can enjoy more, whether it may be less stressful or something that's going to maybe be more exciting, I would do it.
0: I just haven't found it yet. Because it, it's nice to have options, right? To be able to go like, all right, I can do whatever I want right now. When you saw that first television going into the the hard rock and you were experiencing that situation and then you saw them popping up here now, because I do, I see them all the time now and even nicer restaurants. And no, but that's
1: say, the thing They the, the owner wouldn't put a would not put a TV in the hard rock. He wouldn't oh, do it. Oh,
0: I begged okay. them,
1: we're packed and I'm, I'm working nights And I'm like, damn, I can't watch the game. So I'm like, we need to put some screens in here. I had a bunch of different ideas. He's like, no, we're not doing any of that, which you can't argue. That was pretty damn successful, the hard rock. And that's why I said, you know, something like we need to have like a hard rock, but in sports. And that was kind of the concept. And we ran with it. We did really well. Billy Rose and myself uh, opened up a place called The Sporting Club, which is basically one of the hottest sports team restaurants in the 80s. And then obviously a lot of people copied it. Unfortunately, we weren't able to create a chain out of it. I was really young. I was only 25 at the time, and I was probably a little ahead of my time with it. Otherwise, we would have opened up. I mean, we had Trump. We had so many people, celebrities, every night. But the blessing is sometimes your first idea is not your best idea. Yeah. And I think like the blessing of that was even though I wasn't able to take advantage of that idea, did I little did I know that I was going to create this marketing company, marketing athletes from that idea.
0: Yeah. So how did that transition happen? If you went from the, the bar and the restaurant, how did that transition into, hey, you know, people want to actually get the memorabilia or beat these celebrities uh sports? It's not, it's not a good story. Oh, uh, that I, makes I'll, it better.
1: You know, I'm in the restaurant business and I'm struggling to raise the money, which would have been like an ESPN zone. I wanted to yeah. interactive sports, bar. I couldn't raise the money. And obviously some other people did an ESPN zone, some other things, but that's what I was trying to do. Couldn't do it. So I go to work at this company that uh, with a couple of friends, but we definitely had some relationships with athletes. We were doing these closed circuit fights back in the eighties. If you wanted to watch a fight, you got to go to a movie theater or a restaurant. Yeah. We get this box. You can watch the fight. So I'm like, we're going we're gonna to start a little sports company. I show up for work. I tell my wife, I'm quitting my job. Can't raise the money for the restaurant. I'm going to change direction. I show up. The guy's like, can't do the partnership, but you can have that little office over there. So I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I, I don't know. So I start a little company. I was doing some PR marketing and that's how I got started. These guys said, we're moving. I said, where are we moving? Well, we'll let you know. So they moved, they leave me in this office share by myself. And I just started a sports marketing company on my own with 4,000 bucks. I didn't know where I was going. Wow. I'd love to tell you this grand plan I had. I didn't have it. Um, I knew that um, I was, you know, I knew the sports bar and the restaurant business pretty well. I'd been trained at Hyatt hotels and I was doing some consulting for a bunch of restaurants just to make a few bucks but it wasn't a great start I had 4,000 bucks and only until my wife said, you know, after about four years, I was in business. I always feel like if you got an idea, it should be able to kick in in about four years. So I'm at the four year mark. My, it's like, you know, I think I have a family. You may want to go and get a job. Maybe this thing's not going to work. And I took another $10,000 out of the bank. I was booking a lot of athletes at the time for appearances and I took the 10,000 out. I bought a little inventory because every time I did an appearance, I'd bring some memorabilia and stuff for the, for the company to give away. And I made more money. And that's why I started making money. That's why I came up with the collectible idea. It was never to be a brand. And I never thought it was going to be as big as it was. If I did a trade show with Roger Staubach, I brought some cowboy helmets, made some money on the helmets, got some helmets signed to give out to some clients, made some extra money. And that's how I was able to get ahead of it. And all of a sudden, people just started calling me constantly looking for a memorabilia. And then I went from a little closet to a little warehouse, and things started blowing up. And it really just started with 4000 bucks and 10000 bucks fulfilling a need i said these clients are bringing athletes in they need a takeaway they need product to bring to clients and and, and friends and family so i would just go and do that and that's why i ended up starting making some money and then before you know it i started the collectible thing
0: wow so it became a, something out of almost necessity and it just grew into an actual business for you
1: i think most things do it's like you know what it's only you know we're built for it but until your back's against the wall I mean, I'm not saying nothing great happens, but I'd say the best things that happen is when your back's against the wall, you got a gun to your head, and you got to go make something happen. That's why we all study at Sunday night for the Monday test. It's why we all wait to the last minute to put the proposal together. But it's when you do your best work because you have to. The question is can you do that? Can you create that kind of urgency every day, all day? without having that deadline and those are the ones those are the people that get to an extraordinary level you see michael jordan winning a championship and the first thing he says is i got it back on the of work because i want to win another yeah. it's like that's that's the stuff i learned you can learn from uh from sports is like a lot of times you settle because you have some success you see sales people making a great deal they have a great sale what do they do they want to celebrate Me? Sure. I'm staying right here i'm not leaving this office i'm, I'm hot I'm thinking about there's no better time to get another deal is when you made a good one. And that and that's how that's how my mind works anyway. So you know, listen, it's, it's not easy. I would say you got to wake up broke. You, know, you got to wake up broke. You know, when you're broke, you're not sure what you're going to eat. Not sure you got a roof over your head even though, you know, I know that's delusional for me at this point, but I make it up in my head. Yeah, sure. how I'm going to make it.
0: Boom. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having dinner last night with a group of buddies of mine who are speakers and some are incredibly successful speakers. And uh, I, I, it's so interesting to say that because this morning I woke up and I just had a new perspective. I've been doing some things in my business here at the end of the year, you know, getting things together for next year. And just last night gave me a whole new perspective that I woke up this morning. I, I, I wouldn't say that I thought of it as being hungry, but now that you say that, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm now in a place of totally shifting a few things that I want to do because now I have a new perspective of what I want. And it's given me more fire, even this morning, getting so much more done than I normally get done in a morning. So when well, you- I got
1: to get the owl. I'm touching my owl here. <laughs> because it is about perspective and it is about your thought process. 99% of the reason why you're not doing better or going further is because of you. It's because of your thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, i I know i definitely fall into that trap sometimes of getting comfortable of like hey yeah i'm doing great and that what is that saying where you know uh comfort is the enemy of of or good is the enemy of of success or whatever i'm totally butchering that but i'm sure you see it a lot with whether it be athletes or whether it be entrepreneurs and how do you coach them through getting out of that mindset of like hey you know i'm doing good why should i complain because I got to say that's one of the things that drives me nuts about people sometimes. I'm like, well, I can't complain. Well, I'm not asking you to complain. I'm just asking you to like do better. I know you're comfortable, but how can you do better? What are some of the things that you see with your clients and how do you get them out of that?
1: You know, it's an old expression, just because you were born in third base doesn't mean you hit a triple.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: it's very similar with athletes. It's like just because you got this hundred million dollar contract, listen, the contract is not your destination. It's your transportation. You're not put on this earth because you can dunk the ball, shoot a bunch of threes, and that's what God's plan was for you. But you can use this platform to do what you really set out to do, which hopefully will be to be a great player, but also to make a difference with the popularity you have, the money you have. And in order to do that, you, there's a process of building a brand, building trust with your audience, and not just be a money grabber. And, and listen, we go through the same thing with our kids. If you grow up in a wealthy, wealthy uh, house, like my kids did, I tell my kids all the time. It's was like, listen, I'm here to share this with you, but this isn't yours. This is my party. You're invited, but don't be confused. If you want to have a life like this, you're going to have to earn it. And I'm going to show you, I never deny that we have a lot of money. I don't deny. Uh, and I, when I talk to athletes, I, you have a lot of money. What are you going to do with it? What difference and what impact are you going to make? And that's yeah. what I would say to my kids. Like, what life do you want to live? What impact are you going to have? I don't Say, oh, we really don't have that much money, how hard I had it when I was a kid. Because the kids don't want to hear it. What I do say is that you got to decide what kind of effort and earning your keep in this planet to make a difference, live a life that you're comfortable with so that you don't waste this childhood or waste your time away because it's only here for a short time. And I think my kids picked up. They see the work ethic because a lot of times people think they work really hard one day so they don't have to. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is you work really hard one day, so you can be great at something, so you can have choices. You can decide what you want to do, what you don't want to do. And that's the real joy in life. Happiness resides on the cross-section of growth and gratitude. So Mm -hmm. if you're not growing and you don't have tremendous gratitude for what you've been lucky enough to get, you're probably somewhat miserable or you're in a short-term, you're having a little short-term happiness, which is fine. But real happiness when you're challenged, you're growing, and also you're incredibly grateful for all the things which you can go on and on that you have and i try to i've tried to show that to my employees you know to be grateful for every customer when they call because they have a lot of choices i try to show that to my kids when they're being you know when they're raised that hey look at me i'm growing yeah we have a lot of money but i'm still growing i'm still going after it i'm still killing it and uh, i think it's contagious i think you are a little bit about the people around you so you have to think about the kind of as a leader you're thinking about what kind of what you're representing you're thinking about what kind of example you're setting in every way because the people they're watching you yeah you know your staff your
0: kids they're watching you yeah sure. yeah i was just had this conversation with my son uh, a couple of days ago about this whole idea of happiness and i love this idea then i'm going to bring this to him too as well that happiness is the the cross-section of growth and gratitude because i was saying to him i don't actually think the uh, purpose of life is to be happy, but it's to contribute. And when you're having growth, you're contributing to something, you're having gratitude. I, I really like that idea. And. I wonder well, if you want to
1: realize about that, the happiness part, there's the growth and gratitude, but really there's only two reasons why we're here. Hmm. You want to get to that part And it's As very did. clear. There's only two, two reasons why we're here. One is to help others, mm-hmm. you know, very clearly, you know, if you're, you know, helping other people is not a burden it's a joy. Lead you to sheer happiness and then growing. So like if you if you look at all the species on the planet, and there are many of them ants, bugs, cows, bears, eagles, birds, fish, dogs, cats, none of them, I mean zero, can adjust, get better. You're not gonna ever wake up, go down to your living room, your dog will fed itself, walk itself to read New York Times. It's never (laughs) gonna happen. Like none of these species can adjust you look at what humans and the amount of adjusting we've done just in the lives that we're living right now just look what happened during the virus you know all those other species can never have adjusted to 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 adverse conditions whatever so if you think about why you're here to help people and to grow and to get better if you're not helping somebody relatively often and you're not really growing and taking advantage of the adjustments that you need to make to be a better person to make an impact in the world why are you here? Besides the fact of the lottery that you've actually figured out how to be on this planet, the chance of you being on this planet is so minimal, right? I mean, yeah. And then to be on this side of the planet in this country is, is a lottery ticket when you think about it. Yeah. So when you really think about th- that way, and there's an underlying tone of gratitude here, but I mean, if you're not growing, what are you doing? Yeah. Like you know, You're missing the whole opportunity of being on this planet. And then the joy really comes from you know, when you go help somebody selflessly, whatever the amount of money, whether it's dollar or 10 or just giving up a couple hours of your time, and you know you're not – I always say, what would you do for someone that you knew would do nothing back and never give you anything back? What would you do? But the truth of the matter is the answer on that is if you do do it and you do try to do it, there's nothing you will enjoy and feel better about doing than that. Hmm. I love when I give completely selflessly the person doesn't even know I gave it to him or the, I'm never getting anything back. I may not even see that person again, but I know I did something good to help somebody along and that's what we're here for. Yeah. And yeah. I try to do it as often as I can.
0: Well, let's, let's take a little bit. And I appreciate all that. Cause that is so true. <laughs> I love those words of wisdom. I want to shift to your books uh, because first of all, your first book, and I think it was your first book. The first book that I've listed there is You've Got to Have Balls is such a great title and so catchy. And you have three books out there that you share your wisdom and, and education with. In your book, first of all, why did you decide to write a book? Because I think this is a challenge a lot of people have is oh, I'm going to write a book someday. And you've written three. Why did you decide to write a book? And I'm writing the fourth. I'll get to it in a second. First
1: of nice. all, the first book, the first book was the business playbook. I wrote the business playbook oh, for every okay. young entrepreneur, particularly kids in high school, college, that think, oh, I'll get to it. I'm not – it's not – I'll worry about it when I graduate. I'll, no, no, no. You could be building brand, building relationships, and I give them a very simple nuggets how to get started as early in age as you want. If you're in your 20s you're stuck and you really want to kind of get a lift to kind of maybe get your own brand and your own thing going, and it doesn't mean starting your own company. You can build your own brand and start developing a lot of different things entrepreneurship-wise in a big company. You just have to put certain things together. What happened is when I graduated college, I had been working for 10 years already. I couldn't get a job. And I said, when I figure this crap out, I said, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm fully prepared. I'm going to write a book about it, which is odd because I couldn't get a job and I'm ready to think about writing my first book. <laughs> so it, it, the book didn't have the true entrepreneur, book. by the way. <laughs> the book happened 20 years later. Now, you got to have balls was, was, you know, Steiner was a big success. Every time my wife and I went somewhere, it'd be like five, six people coming up constantly. How'd you do this? How'd you do that? And my wife was like, you know, I, I hate going out to these parties with you, whatever. It's annoying. I said, you know, so I'm going to write a book. Somebody walks up to me. I can explain how I built Steiner from four thousand bucks to a fifty million dollar company, and blah blah blah, and uh, and that's and my mother's line. Which you got to have balls, by the way. Yeah. Those are favorite line: be relentless, uh, don't stop, be creative, don't stop at success. If you dream it, do it, put it into play. And uh, my mother was a crazy dreamer and a really smart businesswoman, which was a rarity back in the sixties, seventies. The funny thing about living on purpose is that you know I never planned for the success. Like people always say, Brent, do you ever think you're going to be successful? I'm like, yeah, of course I did. You think I started this company to be a failure. Right. But if you think about it, you put all this energy into being really good at what you do, but you don't put any energy into the plan of what you're going to do after you're really good at it. What's the plan then? Like you plan on going to college, you plan on getting your first job, you plan on having a family, things you're going to do with your family, but you don't plan on what's going to happen when you hit 50 and you've had a lot of success. You've made a lot of money. What's the plan then? Yeah, ah. spiritually faith family fitness and then do you want to make more money and what kind of money do you make And what you're going to do with it and that's kind of what happened is i made a lot a lot of money i thought this would be the end all and i don't know I, I wasn't that happy and it wasn't clicking in for me i don't think i was the dad i wanted to be i was a pretty good dad which i think my kids i, I asked them to rate me on a scale of one to ten i think it was like a six and a seven i was like shit uh, six or a six you know, like I mean, compared to what though no, really compared I didn't to want to hear it but you know they they were honest like you're know, like you know dad this dad dad you know love you about this don't love it and then you know, i think as a husband i probably wasn't rated that much higher and then mm-hmm. i think my fitness my I I, I I didn't even know what faith was to be honest with you and mm-hmm. i just started I, I started a pod i go into a bookstore i say who is the most popular book in here and we usually it was either somebody to lose weight Somebody who wanna get close to God or somebody had this rich you know, get rich quick scheme. So I started interviewing people and those three themes and, and did pods around them and then I got fully educated about health, sleep, fitness, nutrition, everything that I could do to be the best version of myself. And I and I wrote that book for people in their 40s so they could prepare. Because physically things are gonna change, mentally things are gonna change. Your kids are gonna go to college, things are gonna change with your wife, and you gotta prepare for that. Or it's going to be a it's going to be a, a Mike Tyson left hook, and I hope that people read that book because it. it, it first of all, my family hated me writing that book because so I was extremely transparent. I told I didn't tell you what to do. I showed you what I did. I showed you what I really thought, what I was going through, and what I did to fix it. So I, I love that book. I mean, Living on Purpose because it's not that the other books weren't honest, but it it really did show you the good, the bad, and the ugly that.
0: Well, even though I made a lot of money. I wonder though, I mean, even just this talking to you for the last few minutes here, I got to assume that that's how you've always been with your clients and with people. it's like, uh, it's kind of a no BS, but just here's, here I am, I'm raw, I'm real. I'm not going to give you any, you know, platitudes. So although that might be a surprise or a pushback from your your family, I would bet that most of your clients reading the book are like, yep, th- this is exactly what I expected from Brandon.
1: Well, what's, what's important is that I'm half illiterate. You know, I went to college. I got a 760 on my boards. Went to a specialized pass-fail high school for really smart kids. My mom finagled my way in. You know, it, it, I've had to have ghost writers. The books are my words. But to write three books and, and write over 2,000 blogs, it's it's outrageous. Yeah. Because I barely can write and read. But yeah. I, think, I think for me, when you read the book, what's nice is that you read a lot of these types of books. And I like them. I've read a lot of them. I can show you boxes of them. I've read them all. And I have some favorites, but this is a book that you can really, or all three of my books, you can put everything in play. You don't have to be, and I I think it really is simple. I call it snackable content. Mm. I'm not trying to serve you a meal or anything you got to cook, defrost, add a million ingredients. These are all, you can read a chapter at a time. You can take it, snackable, put it right in play. And I think you'll see relatively simple, good results, depending how into it you are. And that's what I love about my, my business style. Is the same way. I mean, everybody's got an idea, everybody's got a dream, but you know, execution. I always say execution beats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. And yeah. for me, the books are very, very simple. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Balls book, I put a lot of photos in there for some of you that are not big readers. Like, there's a lot of photos in there, but it's easy to read. And it's easy to, to kind of like take some of that in, particularly the way I'd storytell it, because I'm not telling you what to do. I'm showing you what I did. I'm showing you the problem I had, which I don't think most of our problems are that much different. We're all facing the same crap.
0: Well, on that note, I want to talk a little bit more about living on purpose, because you and I were talking a little bit beforehand about parenting and the challenges and stuff with that. And you mentioned your parenting chapter in the book. And I do think that there's such a commonality between all of us, especially when you be uh, in, in general. But when you become a parent, there's a commonality of you want your kids to be happy, healthy and, and productive and things like that. What is your own personal takeaway as you're writing the book? I found that when I'm writing my books, that there are things that I'm learning about myself writing it. Was there a personal takeaway that you had during writing any one of your books that you're like, oh yeah, that that really is something that's that important to me? Or the whole other- purpose book, every every page
1: was every like page. a learning <laughs> experience. I mean, the whole purpose book, which is the whole purpose of the book. But you know, when the parenting chapter was was amazing because um, you know I've always wanted to be a great parent, not a good one. So that that that's gold. I mean, I, I recommend people to buy that book, just read the chapter. But first of all, there's only three rules I had in my house with parenting. You know, be a good be a good person, be a good brother, sister, and friend, and earn your keep. In their case, you gotta go to go school. Do, don't have to be the best student, but do your best. That's all you have to do. I don't care. You want your room's filthy? Good, live in a mess. See how that works out for you later on. You don't want to, my son wore red for two years straight. Red sweats, red socks, red shirt. I don't know what was in it. I was like, let's go to a store. Let's buy some more red shit. Let's go. I didn't argue with him about that stuff. Be a good person. Be a good brother, son. Earn your keep. Your job is to go to school, do your best. Whatever that may be, simple. My kid comes into my room, I'll tell you a quick story. My kid comes in a room, so I only had three rules and I didn't really press on the other stuff. I wasn't hovering over my kids, do your homework. Although my wife was a little of that because like, you wanna be an idiot, be an idiot. You don't wanna go, you don't wanna study hard. Listen, there are a lot of jobs that you know. I'm sure you can get, but if you do well in school, it may lead you to some really good opportunities. Your choice. I'm not going to hover over you and beat you up about oh, your grades. I never looked at my kid's report card, although I can say my wife was a little more on it. But, you know, my kid walks in my room and says, Dad, Dad, I was sleeping. Um, Mom had to leave early. Can you give me a ride to school? I'm like, are you, are you kidding? You're waking me up so you can get a ride to school? Are you out of your mind? I'm like, you got a bicycle. You got two feet. There's a school bus. You go on play dates. Call one of your friend's mom's. What, do I look like an Uber? Do I look like a cab driver? <laughs> and my son looks at me, he goes, you know, dad, I'm nine. I said, yeah, you know something. What are you going to do one day when you're in a situation? I'm not going to be here to drive you, take care of you. You've got to be a figure it out person. Mm. Don't come in here without some answers. You know, we're trying to figure it out. Dad is okay if I get a ride with my next door neighbor, they're going to give me a ride to school his mom left. Okay, fine. Dad, I can use, you know, Listen. You need some help in your warehouse. i like to come after school. You know, by the way, I need a ride to school. So maybe we talk about me coming to work after school and help you in your warehouse, but when you drive me to school, like figure out a give and get, what am I getting out of waking up bro? I've been working hard. Why should I get up early and drive your ass to school? And, I and, and, I, and, and what I hope my kid got out of is like be a figure it out person. And then think about the help that you need and what's available to you before you just start asking other people to solve your problems because at some point you wake up and you realize nobody's coming to help you. Yeah. The only person who's really going to help you is you. Yep. And then, and then the second story is my wife, I think another great parenting story is like my wife, she comes to bed, "Oh my god, I I'm, I'm like, "Honey, what's wrong?" She says, "You know how hard it is to get your daughter up in the morning?" I said, oh. by the way, I don't recommend doing this at home. I go, how hard can this be? <laughs> He looks at me. Really? You get your daughter up tomorrow morning. I go to Nicole's room. I say, Nicole, tomorrow morning at a quarter to eight, I'm going to wake you up five to eight. I'm going to come back, see if you're up and going at eight o'clock. If you brush your teeth and head downstairs, you eat breakfast, you're dressed and by a quarter after eight, five dollars. You can spend on anything you want. Candy, this, that doesn't matter. I'm giving you five bucks. I go at a quarter to eight. My daughter's already up five to eight. She's already brushed her teeth, dressed. She's already downstairs. I go downstairs. It's five after eight, ten minutes at a time. I go, Nicole, I'm so proud of you. You're dressed. Everything's great. Dad, I want my five bucks. I want it now, right now. I (laughs) earned these five bucks. Give me that five bucks. She goes, it's the easiest five bucks I ever made. I said, Nicole, it's the easiest five bucks I ever made. I bet your mom ten. I'd have you down there with no problems. (laughs) And, And, you know, the moral of that story is like, Everything is negotiable. And you know, in disciplining your employees, kids, whatever you gotta do, you can have some fun with it. It's it's important to have the facts and and have consistency when you're with your employees and same thing with your kids. But you gotta be compelling and have fun along with it or you're just gonna be a boring ass parent and a boring ass boss. Like you gotta be compelling, you gotta have some fun. And and, and I see a lot of people that really know what they're doing, they're good parents, but they are boring, strict, and it's not exciting.
0: Well, and I, even the, the idea of the red clothes thing with your son, right? That's, that's, that's getting less stress off of you. How many, and I, it made me totally flashback to the times where I look at whatever my son was wearing, my daughter's wearing I me. Mean, like, I would get, they weren't stressed. They were fine. They were living their life, just doing their thing. And I would get stressed because of, of course, my own ego and thinking what other people are going to think, Hey, what are they gonna think about Dino? Because he lets his kids wear it red every single day and your approach of, Hey, let's go buy you more red clothes cause less stress for everybody. And it's just, that's fun. That is.
1: Yeah. There's another good point you bring up about, you know, caring about what other people think. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say, don't worry about what other people think. That's bullshit. I I, I care about what other people think, Mm -hmm. but not what everybody else thinks. Mm -hmm. I care Mm -hmm. about what the people I love and that I really care about what they think. I don't care about what everyone thinks. I just care about what the people that are close to me, my family, my friends and the people that I care about the most, what they think. Yeah. If you start worrying about what everybody thinks, you're going to drive yourself freaking crazy.
0: Well, what's your, what's the next book about? I mean, these obviously sound like three great books and your wisdom and just general for entrepreneurs and life. What's the next book? Like what more wisdom are you going to share in your next All right, book? We're going, we're
1: going into a completely different planet right now. Wow. With, you know, again, my, all, my all underlying theory is make a difference, make an impact and, and, and try to help others. So during the, during the virus, You know, black life matters. We've had tremendous problems with our inner inner city police. I'm writing a book about urban policing. I've been on eight or nine ride alongs, you know, eight hour shifts, riding along chasing down crime with police officers, uh, interviewing judges, commissioners, lawyers, uh, community service people. I'm trying to understand how we can get urban policing better. The crimes that are going on in the cities now are outrageous. Our relationships with urban policing is definitely not good. Our optics, how we feel about police is not good. And I'm trying to get underneath of it. At the same time, I'm trying to learn the good and the bad about the police because there's probably some, there is, I'm going to tell you in the book, there's some tremendous lessons from a business standpoint that we could actually utilize in our businesses uh, that, you know, the police are, are amazing. They, they're amazing, but they have some makeups. There's some issues. And, and there's some things that, from the community standpoint that we need to do better as well. So... My wife hates this project. She's she, you know, I rarely talk about it because when I come out with the book and I have to, you know, I'm going out with a, uh, a bulletproof vest. I'm in highly crimed areas. Yeah. I'm being polite when I tell you about, you know, the areas in the Bronx, um, the areas in some of these small towns that are you know, very dangerous. A lot of lot of, lot, a lot of gangs, a lot of guns, a lot of crime. And, you know, shit can happen. I mean, you know, we yeah, went in a building the bad. other day. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we went in a building the other day just to give you an idea. We got to cause a robbery. So we go in the building. We're in a project in a 10 or 12 story building. There's one elevator. And, you know, a long hallway. I mean, a lot of things can happen. It could be an ambush. You know, somebody just flips out, goes crazy, starts shooting. I'm not making this up. These are things that have happened. So I'm standing in between the two police officers because, God forbid, something does happen. And then you knock on the door, which is we deal with uh, uh, people like in a normal apartment. But in these apartments, been in the Bronx, there are three, four bedrooms, and the entire family lives in each one of these bedrooms. So you're walking into an apartment with three or four families, and they have the common space, the kitchen, the bathrooms, they're sharing. And it's dangerous. Yeah. Every minute, like I'm like thinking, shit. I mean, I, I, you know. So and I'm just giving you one moment yeah. of multiple hours and multiple days that I've been out here trying to understand why all the different guns and the crime and everything that's going on. And so that's my fourth book. I'll, I'll be done with it in a couple of months. I'm about three quarters done now. It's been amazing what I've learned. And and, and again, gratitude. Like, uh, Not not that I want to get into a pro-police thing, but it is amazing what the technology and, and what police have created in that, that keep us safe. We don't realize it, but if we don't make some adjustments, I think the theme of the book is we got to make some adjustments or we're going to be unsafe. And after your health, your family, I mean, you know, he is safe. a very
0: high level of work. Now you can be pro police on that. My dad was a cop, so I totally agree. And I, I hear some of the stories and all that. It's, <laughs> it's it's crazy. What's interesting to me about you, Brandon, is that so there was a I don't know who it was. I was talking on. I heard on a clip or whatever talking about your brand. Oh, it's uh, Gary Vee. Gary V. was talking about how you are your brand. And when you look at even your books that you wrote and the interests that you have in life, yeah, people can know you as the serial entrepreneur or the sports guy or all that, but you look at your books and you see that your interests are your brand. And you have such wisdom that comes through, whether it be learning how to start a business or get ready to start a business, whether it be uh, understanding how to live a life on purpose. And even now going to this kind of pivot, it seems like uh, when it comes to our communities and caring about the communities with our police force, that's a really interesting entrepreneur to me. And that's why we had you on the show, because that's powerful and living a life that you are the brand you have multiple interests you don't have to be on one little niche and people know you for one thing and obviously they don't so that's that's really powerful well, thank, thank you well, thank
1: you thank thank you for saying that i appreciate it oh. and uh you know i you know i, I try I, I want i want to differentiate myself i want to be unique and and if you want that then you got to do unique things and differentiate things by the way not everything
0: works out yeah stuff that's stupid and you know some, but that's what you learn things. right yeah like you you learn so much on the stuff that doesn't work out. You look more, I, there's that saying that says you learn more in failure than than you do success. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. Um, well, I and think the most, I an, the most
1: important thing is, the most important thing is, sorry to interrupt you. The most no. important thing is as an entrepreneur, we talked about, like, I hate what people say, don't be afraid to fail. I'm like, I'm afraid to fail. So we're all going to be afraid to fail, but don't be afraid to try. Yeah, but the most right. important thing that I've learned and the hardest thing as an entrepreneur is that if you believe that failing is not the opposite of success, but failure is a part of success, Mm -hmm. then as you increase your success, your failure is going to increase too. And that's where it gets difficult because I started really succeeding on a high level, but the failures came at a higher level too. And they're sometimes hard to swallow. And that's where you have to brace yourself. And that's where the great entrepreneurs and the great business people can keep flourishing. Because even no matter how hard the punch you take, you realize there's a lot of other better stuff going on and you can withstand it. And that's where I almost struggled. I almost went down and didn't get up because the failures as you succeed on a high level, those failures get really, really deep and they could be, they could be hurt. They could be, they could be hurting. They could be pu- really punishing. So you got to brace yourself for both because you're not going to pitch a shutout of business. You're not going to go, and everything I've ever touched is turned to gold. It's just not going to happen. No. And I've heard many anybody that, that has happened for but you definitely want to win more than you lose, and you're right about that. You know, you never, you never see a locker room celebrating after they lost by two points. But the team that won by two, they're celebrating. But you never learn anything from a loss, Yeah. usually speaking. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like you, you know, you don't learn anything. I'm sorry, you learn everything from a loss. You don't learn anything. That's right. That's what you meant. Yeah. That won. Yeah. You one. Know, you're celebrating. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we've won by having you on the show today, and uh, I, I just appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your time with us, and letting us kind of get a, a deep dive into you. I almost. Feel like we need to book a, a part two because I know there's even more wisdom and playbook stuff that we can look at. I really appreciate that. As we, I was end-
1: going to give you one more story real quick. All right, go one. for it. I, I think it's just appropriate for the for the customers, uh, uh, the fans that are listening, and that is Jack Taylor. Jack Taylor was the founder of Enterprise Rent a Car.
0: Okay.
1: Enterprise Rent a Car is bigger than Budget, Avis, Hertz, and whoever's in fourth place all combined. That's how big they are. Largest to car agency in the world by far. Jack Till was on a Navy ship, got out of the Navy, went to go work for a Cadillac dealership. This is many, many years ago when Cadillac was a big deal, by the way. So he goes to work at the Cadillac dealerships and he sees some cars that are getting damaged, repaired, and he sees that people need a car to rent. So he goes to the Cadillac dealership owner and says, Do you mind if I go get some cars that I can rent out to these people while their cars are getting fixed? No problem. He gets four cars, turns to eight, turns to twelve. Boom. Now they're like a 30 something million dollars, no, 30 something billion dollar company and the largest in the world. Do you know how many people go to enterprise, rent a car just to rent a car because they're on vacation or they're touring or they're out of town, they need a car? What percentage? Take a guess.
0: I'd say 30 percent. No, 15 percent. OK,
1: now Jack Taylor took a traditional business Which many people listening. may think they just have a traditional business. What else can you do? rent a car you go to the desk you rent the car he looks at his business as a replacement car business if you ever go to a collision insurance anywhere where they're doing body work car work enterprise yeah 15% of his business is normal typical rent a cars 85% is replacement cars jack taylor thought about his different his business differently he had his head on a swivel and he differentiated himself so if you're listening to this podcast if you do nothing listen to anything i said so far think about your business your first idea is not your best idea think about your business and how different and unique it can be because the fact that you're in a straightforward traditional business doesn't have to stop it in there mm. there's always another way to look at your business. I mean, I can't use a simpler example than the rent-a-car business, which ends up being a replacement car business, which ends up being the largest in the world by four times the amount. And I think that every business can look at their business that way if they choose to with a little bit of an entrepreneurship attitude.
0: Well, I love that the idea here of looking at your business, whatever your business is, what's another angle that you can look at your business through that maybe you're missing because you're so focused on we're a rental car business, we're an orthodontist, we're a lawyer, whatever. What's the angle that we can look at it from a different view that will actually propel us because now we're, we're unique. And and... be
1: Zach Taylor, man, you know, don't, don't be a boring, don't be a snore, don't be a bore and don't be playing, don't be playing on main street. You know what I mean? Get, get, get creative.
0: Well, I so appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that that story with us and, and and putting a cap on this this episode. But we end every episode with four questions we ask everybody that are rapid fire just off the top of your head. First answer that comes to you. What do you think are you willing to play?
1: Absolutely. Let's right. go.
0: It's based on the role of role. So the first question is, what do you feel and believe is your highest and greatest responsibility on this earth? It's you know, parenting my kids and being a great husband and, and
1: as a one A be you know is trying to stay healthy, you know, my health and my fitness.
0: Um, what do you want as the ultimate outcome to your life?
1: I think that you make a difference, make an impact, and and for somebody to say, you know, boy, that guy was really, really a good guy, is generous.
0: Hmm. What do you consider true leadership to be? And you've seen a lot of leadership in your life.
1: You know something, you can write a book about it, you can talk about it forever, but it's two basic things and don't get confused. If you want to add a third, fine. Fix what's broken. Find what's broken and fix it. Take what you're doing well, figure out how to do it better and make sure the people around you feel safe so that they're not afraid to make a mistake. And if they go and do something, they're trying to fix something or they're trying to make something happen and it doesn't happen and it screws up, they don't feel like they're going to get hammered and get fired. Make sure your people feel safe, fix what's broken Take what you're doing well
0: and make it better. There's always room to do that. A hundred percent agree, that's so great. And last is, this: you know, the fact of the matter is that every single one of us will have a final day here on this earth and this experience. And hopefully that's a very, very long time from now for all of us, but between now and dead, what experience do you hope to have before that last day comes?
1: Well, that's a great question. well, I'm hoping that I can get into some of the inner cities and and, and make a difference. I, I, I think that there's a massive plan to be had that can maybe break up one of these inner cities and, and, and if not a whole group of people, maybe it's just a few individuals that maybe thought they had no hope. And maybe because of something I'm able to do with me or a group of my friends, make a difference for them and get them out of that hole that they were in the same hole I was in when I was a kid that a lot of people came and helped me. Hopefully I could pay that forward. That's probably one of the biggest things for me.
0: That's awesome, and I I truly believe, Brandon. Even just getting to know you for this little time, that you've you've definitely done that in your life in general. And now that you continually have that mission, I, I I pray for you to be able to do that as well. Thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. It really means a lot.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate you, and I look
0: forward to seeing, you know crossing paths again with you and see you on social media. Absolutely. Well, everybody, thank you again for joining us for this Own Your Role podcast with Brandon Steiner. Man, I, I hope that you took notes. I certainly did. I have my whiteboard, as I always do, where I'm taking notes and, and nuggets of wisdom out there. And uh, take this uh, opportunity to go and connect with Brandon. Brandon, matter of fact, where can people connect with you the easiest? I'm a
1: big LinkedIn guy. So, you know, you have to follow me But I'm over the amount of connections. But follow me. I, I answer every message. You message me your address. I'll send you a free book. Or go to collectibleexchange.com. Um, You can buy and sell, but you also get my books for free uh, for the next 60 days. That's
0: a good thing. Awesome. I love that. Well, everybody, thank you again for joining us on the Own Your Role podcast. We will see you on the next episode. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Own Your Role podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're alerted for every new episode we release. And don't forget to write us a review and let us know how we're doing. You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the social medias. Just search at Dino Watt. And if you'd like me to come and help your team or audience learn to own their role in person, make sure you go to DinoWatt.com for more details. I'll see you on the next episode.